up everybody my name is james d fury and this is blackballed friend of the show is returning today he remains one of the most controversial politicians in canada although he would say that is a silly moniker i think because all he's trying to do is do politics differently and protect your freedom and liberties and his name the leader of the people's party of canada his name is maxime bernier mr bernier how are you buddy great great thank you james with you today Thank you for coming. Um, listen, we, we always start off with, like, we always have fun conversations here, and I don't want to ruin that at all. But I am going to, like, just start off a little bit uh, differently than I'm normally used to. So there's a guy named Tom Quiggin who was in a, um, I, don't, I can't remember what publication the article was in. I think it was a Saskatoon uh, newspaper, a Saskatchewan newspaper, uh, where he said the following. Um our own government, as demonstrated by the convoy, is perfectly willing to entertain the most horrific violations of civil rights in order to maintain their version of the dialogue. Quiggin said that V4F, Veterans for Freedom, looked into the group's plans for September 11th. He said the group talked about surrounding buildings, wearing uniforms and requisi requisitioning a courtroom, which means taking one by force. Quiggin said people would be brought to trial and if found guilty, executed. Videos on social media do show group members stating this course of action for the September 11th protests. You're talking about extrajudicial court, which is going to force people into a room, give them a kangaroo trial, and kill them, said Quiggin, adding that if a violent incident is created, that the government's rationale and reason they need to go after anybody who has ever expressed opposition to the government. Now, the reason why I brought this up is because then I saw that you tweeted the following, black ops and false flags, organized by the government and its goons do happen all are are the liberals planning one now you've been in government I, I mean how realistic do you think it is that the government of the day right now the trudeau government is uh planning some sort of false flag operation that would injure people in order to curtail rights even more what are the odds you think on that actually happening well first uh, before answering the question i must go back in time and as a convoy, uh, the media, the liberal government were saying that this and that was dangerous because they had arms and, and foreign arms like so, uh, a lot of fake story in the mainstream media to discredit us in the freedom convoy. That was the only goal of the government to discredit the people who were there during that uh, Void to have all the during the emergencies act. So my answer to that is they did that before. I agree with that manifestation in front of a police office or across the country. Do that because the executive must be independent from the uh, from the police. And so if you don't like policies coming from the government you must protect sorry uh, against politicians so that being said it can happen that person would be there just to cause cause trouble and to discredit manifestation that protest and so it happened also during uh, the convoys uh, as you remember we had only one guy with a, a nazi flyer that he was alone and uh, I remember that person was tried to be interviewed on TV. So that was a bit bizarre because uh, racist. But uh, Trudeau used that to uh, to paint us as urban racist. And maybe same, the same thing can happen in another manifestation. The Trudeau government uh, uh, will may may have a chance that they. Or, or the police, or I don't know, 
but so to answering your question, mm-hmm. the change that happened for me are very low. Okay. Now, uh, I'm old enough to remember. Uh, so you were you a cabinet minister in 2010? Hold on, I'm just... Sorry, can you say that again? I didn't hear any of that because uh, I think it was my phone interfering. I was a cabinet minister in 2010. Okay. Now, I was at the the G20 protest in Toronto, okay? There was no um, emergency uh, act called by uh, the Harper government at the time, but I was there and it was crazy. They had built barricades around the city. The RCMP was working in conjunction, I believe, with the FBI and with local police forces and CSIS and everything. That felt more like a curtailing of my rights than the, uh, well, I don't know how long the Emergency Act was called for. Was it eight days or something like that? Whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Does the Emergency Act necessarily mean your liberties are gone or do we have the kind of setup in government right now, as we saw in 2010, where you can dance around the Emergencies Act and probably curtail people's rights even more so than the Emergencies Act itself could? They use the, the Emergencies Act to be sure to be able to uh, froze. Oh, they did it. And so that's, uh, you know, if you cannot have your own money and you cannot, I think, a, a big violation of your rights. I didn't do that during the 20 protests that you just told me. So that's why I believe that they do invoke the Emergencies Act and they did it and they used it. That's the, that's the remember during that time, uh, you know, all, all around the world, I did interview uh, in France, in Germany, uh, with the mainstream media over there, and they were saying, to me, country, uh, your government is acting like a banana republic, a freezing account, and that's why, that's why you know that, that was a, a, a huge irresponsible violation of our rights. Um, as, as someone who was in cabinet, though, aren't there? Isn't isn't it possible that there are certain elements of the story uh, behind the Emergencies Act, behind the convoy? that maybe we don't know about. Maybe that there are some uh, national security interests or national security issues that might be, um, that the government might be keeping a lid on uh, as they uh, as they prosecute Tamara Litch and they prosecute Pat King and people like that. Or do you think the entire thing is a sham? I'm, I'm just, and I'm not trying to like pigeonhole you. I'm just, someone brought that up to me. A security expert recently brought this up to me. And he said, there might be a whole bunch of stuff that we don't know about yet. And maybe the public inquiry that automatically happens with a declaration of the Emergencies Act will unearth all of these things that we want answers to now. Is that a possibility or do you think that would have already leaked? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah that, that's why we need an inquiry on that. So we'll know more details. And, and I believe that we don't know everything about the, the Trudeau government involved the emergency uh, the emergencies act so learn more that's why we we need to have that uh, inquiry and uh, and but when the inquiry sorry when the emergencies act is declared a, a public inquiry is automatically going to follow isn't that how the rules work it, 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 whenever Prime Minister uh, declares the Emergencies Act as as active, a public inquiry is automatically something that they are going to have to follow through with. Isn't that the way the rules work? Yeah, it, it's in the legislation. You're absolutely right. Okay. Just one also, James, to let you know. I, I told you that in 2010 I was minister. No, not can minister it a bit later. Uh, so okay. at that time in 20. 20- 
That, no problem. Um, and just to let the audience know, we know that, that we're having a, a small issue with the audio. Uh, you're, you might be missing a syllable here and there out of Max's sentences. Hopefully that improves. But if it doesn't, we're just going to have to deal with that. Okay. So I uh, also want to let you know, guys, that Max is going to be at the Worldwide Freedom Rally in Canada, uh, in Toronto. Um, Canada, Toronto. Not sure why it's like that. But either way, uh, uh, hashtag always free. September 17th, 2022. What is the mission of you speaking at these rallies? One of them has to be to drum up support for your party. But now that most of the mandates are gone, what is the main message that you're trying to deliver at these rallies? But mandates that are enforced in our country. Uh, look, I cannot uh, travel. and I know that it's coming from a U.S. decision from the, the U.S. government. As you know, uh, my right to travel across the country by plane or as an unvaccinated Canadian uh, is, it's not sure right now, but uh, Trudeau suspended that and maybe that can come back. So we freedoms for granted anymore in this country. And actually I will speak about that and I will draconian measures can come back this fall or next uh, uh, next uh, week said I, I hope that um, we we won't have these draconian measures so for me right now I'm able to travel across the country as a Indian but I, I, I hope that I will have that right uh, suspended so there are still some measures out there and I'm I'm not so. Uh, yeah, I think that they may they may find back these uh, draconian measures. So that's why I'm there. We cannot take off in this country anymore. Okay. Um, I want to move on a little bit to the um to the leadership race that's happening right now in your old party, and the reason why is because it and this was true the last time I interviewed you, which I think was in May. It was just sort of getting started where Pierre Polyev seems to be channeling Max Bernier. He, all, all, a lot of his key messages, it seems like he's really trying his best to go after the convoy crowd and the people who are upset with Justin Trudeau and the mandates. And I am wondering, he's an old colleague of yours. Uh, do you see it as him uh, sort of moving to the right? And is it authentic what he's doing? No, it is not authentic. Uh, Pierre Poliev is an opportunist uh, politician speaking about freedoms because Canadians and freedom fighters are before him. When we needed him uh, in March of 2020, he seen and, and the opposition also in Ottawa, they were silent and popular to speak for our freedoms. You know, remember at that time, fear was very efficient. And so what happened is, you know, 65 the population at that time agreed with these draconian measures. So if you're a politician and you want to be in government, uh, you want to have the support of uh, that majority. And so that's why Polyev and, uh, and actually almost every across the country didn't uh, speak against the draconian measures. And, but we did it, and that's why I, I, I said that we are doing politics different that time. And now, and we, we did openly with passion and conviction about our freedoms and, and, and fight with freedom fighters, with the freedom convoy. And today, it is more popular. So that's why Poliev is speaking about freedom now. He is not authentic. And also, he's speaking about that. And, and he's speaking because he is in the middle of a leadership contest for concept. And you know, if you want to be the leader of the conservative party, you need to be conservative like Utul did. Utul said, you know, I'm a true blue. And now Poliev is saying the same thing during the leadership 
chip campaign. And I believe after that, that's why when I left in uh, 2018, I said the party of Canada is intellectually and morally corrupt because they're only and during the electoral campaign, they're going to the list. And I believe that for the, maybe not uh, after just after his leadership, like O'Toole did, because I believe then O'Toole, but it will take a couple of months and it will go to the left because they are GTA and in all Alberta. So they will need to please Ontario and Quebec to be able to be in government. And I believe that Poliev will want to be prime minister, prime minister, like he did everything to that like he's doing right now, everything is part of Canada, uh, but speaking like a conservative. So uh, any uh, uh, trust in uh, Pierre Poliev, it's only slogan and, and, and buzzword. And he, he I must admit, nice, nice strong speech when he's delivering his speech, 22 minutes, and tested with uh, poll, polling and focus group. And that's why he question from the crowd and he won't answer any question from journalists because he message to be printed. He wants his message to be in your mind when you go. And that's why he's very successful. And I believe he will win. But uh, the Dian Poliev uh, are not there to fight for conservative values and i believe that uh, we at the ppc we have a bright future um okay a lot of q anon messaging is coming out of pierre Poilievre's mouth right now a lot of like stoking fear for the world economic forum um stoking fear by using sort of keywords that um certain people uh, gravitate to and they get really angry about like elites and globalists and all that kind of stuff. Where is the delineation line between um, just talking shit and actually saying things that are relevant to voters here in Canada? Because when I listen to him talk and sometimes I get this vibe with you too, although I find your delivery a lot more appealing (laughs) than Pierre Proliams, but sometimes it feels like, there's certain keywords, and if you say these keywords enough, people will be gravi- will, will gravitate towards you. Things like globalists and elites, and um, you know the gold standard, and uh, central banking is evil, and all that kind of stuff. Um, how realistic are are these sound bites when trying to govern around the idea of what they are is concerned? You know, yes, it's a very nice sound bike, and Poliev is very good at it. A good five-second clip on TV. Uh, he's an expert uh, doing that. That's why he's using these uh, words. But that being said, also, uh, he, he won't deliver because he's speaking against the elites in the U.S. economic front. But actually, his platform is following the elites, elites on climate change. Uh, you know, it's against the, a carbon tax, yes, but the problem is not the carbon tax. The problem is the Paris Accord. The Paris Accord. That's why we have a carbon tax. And if he's not imposing a carbon tax, more regulations on businesses, and that will be a cost for Canadian consumers. Yeah, he can speak against the elite, but he's adopting the same uh, policies so so that's why mm-hmm. there's a there's a nice example there but on the immigration uh, you know uh, the un with the un compact on migration is he doesn't speak about that he does not speak about immigration but then that's coming from the elites over there the non-elected uh bureaucratic migration for them, every uh, citizen must be able to another country, and everybody must be able to move to another country and becoming a citizen. There's no uh, borders anymore for the UN, and that's why they're promoting migration. migration. Yeah. But is this an agenda? 
is this an agenda 21 thing agenda 2030 because those are another things that like people those are the keywords again it gets people so angry and then when you ask them to unpack it the best that they can do is like well it's supposed to be non-binding but we've had wind turbines in canada so it's proof that they're infringing on our sovereignty is that really accurate but but it's accurate all that coming from the un coming from the world economic forum for example right now from we have the uh, uh, arrive canada app. you know canada is part of that the economic from and i'm against that because uh, you need to preserve your privacy because it's important uh, yes uh, the world economic the world health organization won't impose any measure any policy. canada is a sovereign country they cannot enforce anything they don't have any army happening is that we have a government here a, a socialist government uh, that are in agreement with these policies and and Trudeau policies himself in Canada by legislations so 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 yes it's coming from these international organizations but don't impose anything on us Despite that philosophy, that, that uh, globalism and, and socialism coming from nations, and because it's uh, only an ideology and they're very efficient. Okay. So we have elected politicians in Canada that are adopting legislation in, in policies. But I just want to add also that uh, you people also have a, a world a government that will govern and dictate everything. But that can happen because look in Europe. In Europe, in 1990, their first free trade agreement in 1951, and after the treaties, and the last one was in 1993, the Maastricht treaties, a supranational government, they created the EU. So it took them 50 the supranational government in Europe. And that's the goal of the UN and that's the goal of the world. We must fight that philosophy. But but it always takes, it always manifests in a different way. When, uh, you know, before 9-11, it was uh, that, the group that kind of pushes that talking point, I guess I'll just call it for now. Um, what they were talking about was the Amero. We have to beware of the Amero. And the Amero was supposed to be the North American currency between the United States, Canada, and Mexico. And we were going to form a North American Union, and we were going to get this new currency called the Amero, and there was going to be a superhighway from, like, Winnipeg to the Gulf of Mexico. And none of it happened. And then it just manifests itself in a different way the next generation. And now I don't even know what it is because no one's really specific about it. It, it, it has a lot to do with the UN and sovereignty and things like that. But aren't these, a lot of them, aren't these tropes that just keep coming back and they're really valuable to use because it frightens people into thinking that our sovereignty is going away. But sometimes circumstantial evidence like the World Health Organization recommend, uh, making recommendations that are followed by countries, that is used as like, oh, that's definite concrete evidence that our sovereignty is going. I mean, where is the evidence that our sovereignty is actually being eroded? And and does it count as evidence if we just happen to take recommendations from the United Nations or from the World Health Organization? That's what I said. We are a sovereign country and the Canada we, we have of sovereignty here in Canada. The problem is that philosophy, like I said, is implementing policies in line with the a globalist. So if we don't speak against that, against that philosophy, we will have in maybe 50 years, like in Europe, a world a government. And we don't want that. We want to preserve fight for us at the PPC, at the People's Party. We want to fight for Canadian first, our sovereignty first, saying no to the UN, to the not only is dysfunctional, but Concretely, to the UN Compact on Migration, to the UN on the Paris Accord, and like that, you will preserve 
So but that's these organizations are very efficient and are promoting their ideas, but you're absolutely right. Right now, they cannot impose anything on us. We are a sovereign law and Jack Meek who are imposing in Canada coming from these international organizations. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Okay. Um, let's move on to the elite. Um, when you were when you were in the Harper government, did you feel this as strongly about the international elites and the globalists as you do now, or is that something that you sort of grew into? No, I didn't at that time because uh, it was uh, you know fighting, and our policies were coming from us and with our platform. When I was with him, and so I didn't see that. But, you know, 2015, when Trudeau decided to implement these bad international organizations, I can see that they are very efficient. And that's why, you know, against these organizations and for our sovereignty. But when I was a minister, you know, uh, I, 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 our, the upper government was uh, a government fighting for, for for us, I know that the upper signed the agenda at that time. Twenty uh, is signed that, um, and, and without consultation with the the parliament, uh, we must admit that. But but he signed that and implementing uh, some of these goals that are in that agenda. So we can see the, on the on us the impact of globalism on us. And I just want to say, I'm not, I'm not against against the um, free trade. It's so we must not impose our views on other country. And Trudeau tried to do that when we agreement with the U.S. and he wanted to change the uh, labor law in U.S. That's and a free trade agreement must be a free trade agreement only that but right now the arguments that Trudeau signed there's more than only free trade there yeah, so I, that's, uh, I think Steve Stephen Harper did that too when uh, certain I think it was African countries that he he would only make free trade deals with them if they had certain abortion laws like if they if they if they were pro-life countries or something like that Did you remember that yeah yeah I think we had something like that yes and we were not financing also in other countries that that time yeah right what was it like you were in davos in 2008 now in hindsight what was it like mingling with all those evil elitists and globalists what was how did you did you have to shower many times when I, you were there just to get the stench off or i wish james i can and i can answer your question but i cannot because yes in eight i was in davos yes yes you're right in 2008 i was Foreign Affairs 2008 also, we were in war in Afghanistan. And so my in Davos, because I received a mandate from Stephen Harper because didn't have the right equipment to fight in Kandahar in Afghanistan. It was to have meetings with my counterparts, order Foreign Affairs Minimum to help us in Afghanistan. And so I look at my agenda. One of them 
will be in Davos. And that's why I decided to go in Davos. I believe that I have around 32 meetings with uh, other foreign affairs ministers. I didn't have time to assist to that conference. I didn't have time to mingle with anyone one meeting with the other foreign affairs ministers. And I was asking them for troops or give us uh, equipment and planes and things like that. And my country to fight for the Canadian forces. And I was successful so that trip helped from France, from UK, from uh, other European countries. I can answer your question because I didn't assist at that uh, world economic from being over there. I was too busy to do my own meetings. Well, that's that's great for your messaging. <laughs> right now, it's pretty oh, good. No. Uh, no, no, I get it. No, no, I'm just playing with you. I'm just playing. Um, just I'm gonna I'll take a little shot at you here because now Donald Trump has something in common with you, right? Because he was caught with. Uh, classified documents but it was a different situation <laughs> i know it was different. now um that's just a joke uh, as, as some of you might remember uh, mr bernier when he was minister accidentally left a briefcase at somebody's house and there was a big scandal about it um it seemed like an honest mistake i thought it was blown out of proportion but that's just me but does the message that you have to your followers get a little tricky if it turns out Donald Trump uh, was selling secrets to foreign adversaries, you know, like, does that, is it, would it be hard to throw Trump under the bus, even if he deserved it? But, you know, I, I'm not detailed the American uh, politics first. And uh, I, I've read all that you, like a lot of Canadians. And I know that, that uh, Trump uh, wants, once and I believe that we'll see the the, the, the reality and the, the truth about all that. And so uh, for me, you know, a secret document must be a secret document. And and he was a foreign affairs minister. I was coming from a, a, a meeting that I had in Europe, and I I left these documents at my girlfriend's house. That was a mistake. These documents, it's very important to say. We're not confidential anymore. It's confidential before my press conference that I did in Europe. But after that, everything that I had in my documents uh, was made public during my. So, so. What were the documents that, covered, covering again? Since they're public, I didn't. I don't. I didn't remember that they went public. What, what, what was the information on the documents? Oh, that. This was a, a brief conference, uh, press conference that I did. Uh, all the, the details for Canada with NATO. So that was part of that. But after that, you know, we, we I did a press conference and all, all that information was public by myself. Mm -hmm. So for, for Trump, uh, I don't know if all that information is public. I doubt. Uh, uh, that's another yeah. question. <laughs> And well, what would happen? It, it, sometimes it just sometimes it feels like on the right side of the political spectrum, there is an automatic forgiveness lever when it comes to their leaders. Like, like you could honestly, Max, I think you could probably go out there, just start jerseying people and punching people out, and your fans would just be like, "Yeah, he's fighting for liberty," because they don't seem to hold right wing um, politicians accountable as much as. The lefties, the lefties like to do the circle firing squad thing and just kill each other all the time. But the right seems a little more forgiving when it comes to their leaders getting into trouble or doing things that they shouldn't do. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's the way it looks like for me. Well, I, I think I don't agree with that. Uh, you know, um, you, you have to be honest, and I believe that the population uh, don't like a politician that is not tradition that is also uh, lying to people uh, you know i didn't miss that and i believe that's why i was reelected with the biggest majority uh, outside of the uh, 2008 election 
Uh, so I thought your situation was blown out of proportion. I wasn't trying to say that your specific situation was should, like needed all that much forgiving. It just sounded like an honest mistake. I want to move on from that though, because I, I, I asked one of your staffers in an email today, a question, and I didn't get a response to it. And so I don't know the answer to this question. It's not usually a great way to ask a question, but uh, when you were part of the Harper government, this is a picture of Stephen Harper being sworn in in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure you were part of the government then too, right? Yes, I was. And just yeah. at that time. Okay. What a lot of people didn't know at the time is that the Bible that he's using to swear his oath on is, is prime ministerial oath, like whatever you would call it, his oath of office is a Bible that belo- that was a gift to him from the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. The Plymouth Brethren Christian Church is a group that I have been covering extensively on this show for the last two months. They have deep ties with the conservative parties. This is 2011. This is during Harper's victory speech. And in the front row, you'll see uh, five gentlemen, Chuck Truon, Roy Taylor, Brad Mitchell, Ron Barnes, and Ralph Mooney. They are all members of this organization. This organization, which has now, um, which by the way, has a present day leader who, uh, who the people in the cult believe is a deity who can speak directly with Jesus. It is a cult. Um, there are several allegations of sexual misconduct and coercion and mental abuse and emotional abuse surrounding this cult. This cult also owns businesses that during the pandemic, especially from Jason Kenney's government, Doug Ford's government, received millions and millions of dollars in lucrative PPE contracts. And I'm asking you this because I would like to know if you had ever heard of this group, if you had ever known that uh, Gerald Shapur, who was the former general counsel of the Conservative Party of Canada, former attorney for Stephen Harper, um, is this cult's lawyer uh, and also someone who has lobbied for some of these groups that have gotten these big fat contracts. Um, A, have you heard of this group? And B, do you think it's proper, even if you haven't heard of this group, that Gerald Shapur can be this conduit between government contracts and this group that he represents that seems to receive an inordinate amount of these government contracts? Yeah, I must admit, James, that is, it is the first time that I'm hearing all that. I didn't know that group before, and uh, it's the first time. Uh, about uh, him, yes, uh, you're right by saying he was the attorney for the Conservative Party of Canada. Uh, it helped me when I was running for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. Uh, he was part of my team with uh, other people across the country. Uh, I didn't know that uh, with, with them and maybe with the government, um, but I can that. I don't have any information. Okay. Um, fair enough. Now, um the next election, it's kind of up in the air. I guess it's up to Jagmeet Singh <laughs> when the next election is. Um, do you anticipate something happening this year before the end of the year, or or are we out of the woods with another election, you think? Well, I believe we will have an election when uh, Jagmeet will be ready for an election. Right? Huge debt, so, so they need to raise money, and they're not ready. And also, if you look at an election today, uh, Jack Mead will have fewer uh, NDP members. Of, his goal is to increase uh, the number of uh, NDP members of parliament. That uh, Jack Mead will stay with Justin Trudeau. And same thing with the Conservative. You, you know, maybe they're, they're saying that, but that's not true. I believe that they don't want an election, I believe, for their new leader, if it's the Apollyev, to be more well-known and, as you know, efficient in the House. Uh, they want him to perform in the House, be there. I don't think that the Conservative will push for an election also this fall. So, election, uh, yes, for me, will be uh, fall. 2023 to 2025, we don't know. But, but for me, as the leader of the people, that's why I'm traveling across the country, building organization. We have up to now one of the gates 
approved and selected, ready to run if there's an election. And that's what we and that's why I'm traveling across the country. We are not in election right now. I'm not, but I need to be on the ground to meet our people to promote the party a vision for this country and that's what i'm doing um as a person who's been uh you know accosted yourself i think you were egged once if i'm not mistaken what did you think about what happened uh with christia freeland in alberta and i want to preface this a little bit because i, I i've seen other politicians get verbally harassed online in real life there was something a little bit different, and I'm not a fan of the Trudeau government, so it has nothing to do with politics or anything, but there seems to be something a little bit different when a giant man is yelling obscenities and walking towards a group of women who are then really trapped in an elevator. Like, that could have gone sideways really quickly. What did you think of when you saw that, and what do you think it means regarding our civil discourse in this country? But yes, that was not appropriate first, but that was, uh, and that, that was the incident. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I was uh, during the last election and, uh, and also on our partisan election, uh, you know, by Antifa, uh, they were violenting, were aggressing our partisan and the mainstream media didn't speak about that. Something is happening uh, to the conservative or, or the, to the right. They don't make a big, big show with that. They don't speak about that. What I think we just saw the, the double standard. When it's a liberal, a leftist, it's all over the media. But when it's some somebody, uh, so you can, can see that the media are not objective. They're not neutral leftists, and they were very happy to cover that, but they didn't cover anything when I was at the last general election. So, okay. yes, I don't, so, like, I don't like, remember, uh, who uh, was able to win the last election? Because he divided Canadians. The good one was the vaccinated one, vaccinated one. I was the only politician that said we must unite every the freedom umbrella, and, and you know the the way to do politics division that, that that must be something that you you can have people are not happy when they're so I believe that that uh, that the man that did that proved that, but I can understand is. Uh, is is best about the situation uh, i believe about our rights but that's minister i agree with you yeah i don't know about that um it just seems so over the top like you know we all have a way that we can understand i i can understand why someone might be frustrated with you or christia freeland or with trudeau or with jagmeet singh it's all subjective it really does but that I have a hard time because Pierre Polyev kind of answered the question the same way you did, which is, yes, uh, you know, it was awful. However, and then fall into the whole thing about how the media doesn't cover it. Wouldn't you say that the way the media covered Christia Freeland's situation, wouldn't it be more accurate and, and more principled to say that you would prefer it if the media covered uh, conservative politicians who get accosted in the exact same way? So therefore, wouldn't you want the media to just maintain that sort of reaction instead of saying that, instead of saying, well, you know, they never do it for conservatives, so kind of, you know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it feels like you're pivoting away from the fact that a female minister surrounded by other ladies uh, with no security was literally cornered into an elevator by a man in a wife beater calling her a fucking bitch and the C word and all that. Like that was a even the egging that you got. I thought, okay, a man got egged. Not the end of the world. That no one should have done that. That was stupid. But that was like a three on a scale of one to Christia Freeland getting chased into an elevator. Don't you think? You know, that's your perception on all that. The question that you asked that you asked me is about the media, and and the media is right to say that it's a double standard. 
didn't cover me and they they are saying oh oh yeah me was egg it's okay but but you know it's not okay I didn't think it was okay that you got egged. I thought I thought it was a waste of food. I thought it was disrespectful to you. I think that I listen, Max. You know me. I I, I don't agree with your politics on on a lot of issues. I think that you yourself as a person seem fine. I do find it a little bit of a juxtaposition that a person who I like, like yourself, tends to attract people who are also quite divisive. Uh, if I see a fuck Trudeau flag. I immediately dismiss that person as not worth listening to. Do you know what I mean? Like I, it's divisive. He, their whole existence is, is, is a divisiveness that they are trying to sell as people who have already been divided by Trudeau. And I think they're pretty happy to be in their camp without any quote unquote libtards because you know, they, they, they speak for conservatives and that's fine if that's the way you want to do it. But but there is a, a strange relationship that you have with your followers because I feel, this to be straight up with you, I feel like you're kind of a better person than your followers are. <laughs> you know, I'm very, I'm very proud of our supporters. They're uh, ex- uh, ordinary Canadians, uh, workers uh, that try to, you know, life and they don't like the big fat government in Ottawa like me. So it's uh, for me growing that party from zero percent in 2018, 1.65 percent at the last election. Uh, this party will grow, and it's not only only former conservatives that are supporting us. People are coming from the NDP, the real fiscal uh, fiscal. Uh, respondents and they're, they're coming because uh, we it, our policies for me and I believe that uh, we are a, a, a populist party yes yes with common sense policies so but you know you can have different and I believe that the liberals also they may have supporters that are not polite outside it, it's it's everywhere that's a society Society, you know, you 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 have beauty of our society. You have people that think differently and have different point of view. We need discussion. That's a big lack in our society right now, and that's why it's polarized. The debate in the media, you know, I'm being cancelled in, in mainstream media. It's very, but there's a bad apples also uh, on the left, not uh, right. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I am sort of with you on that. I mean, I think there's bad actors on the left. It's just that the ones on the right are just so loud right now, and they're so angry right now. And they're more angry than they are on the left right now. Um, the left was angry when the Black Lives Matter protests were happening in 2020. That would be, for me, an example of when the left was really angry. Um, Trump had, you know, Trump was uh, in his last year. There was like four years of just ridiculousness in the States. I'm sorry. I know that like, you know, you you have the same fan base as Trump in, in a lot of ways, but he was a rodeo clown. I, I think everyone is going to judge him through the lens of history as being a rodeo clown. And it's unfortunate because there are certain things about um, libertarianism that I can embrace. They are they're the anti-war position that they have. The fact that they don't want to, uh, the, the fact that decriminalizing drugs is a better idea than having, than waging a war on drugs, things like that. Um, I know you have to go soon. I wanted to ask you one last question, though, about some uh, social issue. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to answer that about Trump, you know, okay. and the left is, you're right, uh, after, uh, uh, look what the radical leftists did. They, they put in fire cities on the right. Right at the right, they just did a, a, a peaceful protest in Ottawa. Our rights, our rights were, were violated, and we did a peaceful protest. You know, one per, one policeman, uh, you know, uh, killed. Uh, yeah, it's it, it was. But what they did, they they put in fire cities. Very radical. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I get it. Like the Portland situation, right? The Portland situation was bad. Antifa took over basically the city. Um, and the rights version of Portland, I guess, uh, I mean, there's Charlottesville. That was a weird incident. 
But the January 6th thing, I mean, I, I, I think we're lucky that they're not too bright because they did storm the Capitol. They did bust into the, the house and they did. Um, it did result in dead people. They're, they did bring weapons to the Capitol building for whatever reason. You know, so I, I, look, I, I, we're going to agree with the whole fringe on the right, fringe on the left thing. Is bad. I just think right now in Canada, right now, the right seems a lot more angry. There's Jeremy McKenzie and there's the death threats against journalists and there's all these things happening. And the best we can get out of the people who are trying to get to take responsibility for their actions is, ah, we were just joking. And, um, you know, I, I look at what's happening in the States right now and I hope that Trump is charged, destroyed, but then pardoned. Because I feel like if he is convicted of something that there's going to be a civil war down there. And I don't know that to me that doesn't speak to the violence on the left. That speaks to the violence on the right, and they're armed more than the left is too. So, you know, there's some concerns that people have there. Yeah, we are living in a in a very uh, with inflation and people. You know, they're losing their job. There's recession in the U.S. and what happened in Canada, and, and uh, you have people that are. Uh, actually situation and uh, for me I'm telling them we need to do a peace ideological revolution that's our uh, our revolution a common and and that's why the people's party is there and uh, we will do that revolution uh, candidates that would be elected I believe at the next election and will in parliament so there's a way to 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 have a better map, but it may be worse before being better. When I'm saying worse, the economy, because of the conservative and the liberals, they all voted for big deficit that is coming. And by the way, Poliev is speaking against inflation, but he created it for all these COVID-19 programs and these programs by the, the credit card of the Bank of Canada or the ATM machine of the Bank of Canada. And now Poliev and the Conservative have a responsibility for the inflation that we have right now. I'd like to remind people. Oh, oh I was going to ask you one question, then I'll remind people. Um, well, your last question is this. Uh, recently, I saw you t- speak out against um, assisted uh, suicide in Canada because you say healthcare providers or it was reported, I think, that healthcare providers are, or, or nurses, actually, I think, were pushing that option onto patients. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because I just started reading about that today, and I haven't really dug into that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We, we passed that legislation in Canada, between all in this country. But at that time, uh, the opponents were telling us that and, and free for all, and everybody would be able to have that it must and now we have the proof of that today when i was in saskatchewan i the lady told me maxime if you dial 811 you know that the 811 is the century for medical help it's not an urgency like 911 a doctor or to a nurse that's the number that you call so and i did call one and that's why i tweeted about that when you call that number uh, options first one then the second third and you you just have to press one uh, they they're telling you if you want to have uh, uh, assistance um what's the, the word assistance uh, dying um you call assistance Asia on five so they are promoting that we are promoting instead instead of promoting life and that's why i tweeted that i was shocked with that Is, all of other isn't that, that isn't that one of the greatest examples of libertarianism you've ever heard that we can just offer ourselves if we want to <laughs> no yeah but that that's a crime and for me that's a crime. veteran that that uh, who was in a hospital and the, the we can help you also. We must not promote that. And that's what is happening. It's going too far. And these kind 
this uh, kind of behavior uh, criminal. Uh, and I believe that we must reopen that legislation and, and put them on the, uh, the, the way that uh, you, you may be able to have euthanasia. Does the small party just want to slide the 811 number to Pierre Proliev? Just, just to see what happens? Just press <laughs> 5, Pierre? No? No. I want to have a debate. I believe that, you know, we, uh, we have be better policies for this country. This country with a smaller government in Ottawa that will respect provincial jurisdiction, provincial respect our charter of rights, and I'm ready to debate. And by the way, I will, because you need to be on the national stage debating at the last election. Now for Bernier, he must have 4% of the vote. And now we had 5% we'll debate with him. They're not going to let you debate. Sorry? They're not going to let you debate. But Just when Patrick Brown ran for the leadership of the Conservatives, and I was like, they're not going to let him win. They're not going to let you debate. There's not a chance in hell because you don't have a seat. They're not going to do it. You know, well, we have 5%, and I think 4%. So I believe that I will. Uh, that, you better start the legal uh, proceedings now then, Max. You better start the legal proceedings now to fight for that spot because if you already have your case, which is that you were – you received more than 4% in the last election. You need a lawyer to start working on that now, because I guarantee you, as soon as that consortium starts getting together and starts talking, they're not going to let you debate. Uh, and, you know, uh, they're changing the rules all the time, but I mm. will fight because they said 4%. And yes, if, it, if it's not happening, that will be a big fight on our side. Okay. Okay. Um, he does politics differently, and I like to remind people whenever I have him on the show that he did once say on this show that if you're a white supremacist or a racist, find another goddamn party. Isn't that correct? Yeah, that's great. I think you're down to 3% now, Max. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just joking. I'm going up at, 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 yeah. at 7%. Yeah. All right, Maxime Bernier, thank you very much for joining me. It was a pleasure to have you on again, sir. Thank you, James. Have a nice day. I'll see you again soon. That was Maxime Bernier. Um, I know he gets a lot of people hot, and I know a lot of people don't like him that listen to this show, but he's all right. He has a tough job um, navigating uh, through, you know, all the different types of people that um, vote for PC party initiatives. Um, the jokes, the low-hanging fr fruit, uh, the, the, the jokes that are the low-hanging fruit you know, racist and conspiracy theorists. That's all fine and dandy. I happen to know people who were uh, Green Party people who voted PPC the last election. So it's not as clear cut as you think. I do like having him on the show. I find him to be um, slightly evasive with the way he answers questions, but pleasant enough for me to do the interview. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Tomorrow, in lieu of Gerald Shapur, former... Prime Minister, former lawyer for Prime Minister Harper and the former general general counsel for the Conservative Party of Canada. He is currently in South Korea with Jason Kenney, a buddy of his, lame duck premier Jason Kenney, doing a trade mission uh, for South Korea. Um, I thought it was a good time to remind people exactly what he did before that, which was work for the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, a.k.a. the Plymouth Brethren Crazy Cult, to hunt down someone who is now a good friend of mine, Richard Marsh, because Richard Marsh was a whistleblower. Not only did he do that, uh, but it was under the false pretense when he hired political fixer David Wallace to do the dirty work. It was under the false pretense that there was a criminal warrant out for Richard Marsh's arrest, which was untrue. And then, allegedly, at least according to David Wallace, he also made David sign a fake affidavit um, in order for David to, uh, to first of all, get paid. I'll let David explain the rest of that because I'm not sure if I have it right. Either way, uh, tomorrow uh, we will have David Wallace and Richard Marsh on to talk about Gerald Shapur. And then on Friday, I have Eric Alper on. Eric is a uh, really well-known uh, public relations person in the music industry. Uh, so that should be fun. You should give him a follow on Twitter as well. He is hilarious. Uh, E-R-I-C-A-L-P-E-R. -E and uh, let's see. Do I have anyone next week? I do. 
I have next week. I have Karima Sad on Thursday. And then on Tuesday, I have a Canadian hip-hop living legend. His name is Classified. He just came out with an acoustic album called Retrospected. Uh, you should go check that out. There's a good single called Growing Pains, which is a track about his kid. Um, so it's going to be a busy time over the next week here on Blackballed, and I'm glad you guys were able to join me tonight. Leave some comments, like, share, do whatever you need to do uh, to get the word out. I hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Maxime Bernier. And we will see you next time on Blackball. Thank you, everybody. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.